We are on Sermon 8 in our walk through the book of Acts. And last week we saw Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, leave the mission trip early, but Paul and Barnabas press on. And they land in Antioch in Poseidon, and that's not to be confused with the city where the first Gentile church was. This is four or 500 miles away from that Antioch. The church that sent out Paul and Barnabas was in modern-day Syria, and this Antioch that they just landed in is in Turkey. So when they get to this town, they head to the synagogue, and this is where the Jews would worship when they weren't able to go to the temple because it was too far away. And Jesus had actually started this practice of preaching in the synagogues, and Paul continues it. He says, this is a good plan, let's just keep doing it. These people had been waiting for the Messiah, and these had been outside of Jerusalem, so they even more might have held on to this promise of this coming king. And Paul was ready to tell them that the Messiah had already come. So Paul and Barnabas are sitting in the uh, synagogue, just like you were sitting in church today. And in the second half of Acts chapter 13, they read some scriptures, and the leader of the synagogue asked Paul and Barnabas if they had any words to share. So Paul stands up and he launches into this detailed sermon about their history as a people and all that God had done, but how they rejected him. And this sermon was very similar to the sermon that got Stephen stoned to death. So Paul tells this story of Jesus and mixes in the scriptures about the Messiah that they had heard over and over again. Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus was the savior of the world. The law was perfect, but we couldn't live up to it. And God made a way through Jesus. Paul preaches to them. And then in verse 42... It says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue the grace of God. This message caused quite a stir. The gospel just had captured these people's hearts and minds, and the people wanted to come back and hear the preaching again. They were so excited about this message, and they followed Paul and Barnabas all around because they wanted to know more. And the news of this message spread like wildfire. Every time I practice this, I've said wildflowers every single time, and I almost said it right then. And wildflowers do spread, but they're much slower with their spread. So this spread like wildfire. And they talked about it in the market, in the slave quarters, in the courts of the government. If this was modern day, they would be on a rant room somewhere on Facebook talking about the message of the gospel. And the next Sabbath, there was an enormous crowd and the Gentiles outnumbered the Jews and every seat is filled. They broke their attendance record. But Paul's second sermon in Antioch of Poseidon never came. The religious leaders were jealous and envious that the people wanted to follow Paul and Barnabas and not them. They didn't like this new message about Jesus, and they wanted things back to how things used to be. Someone probably took their seat, right? It wasn't what they were used to. It wasn't their thing, and it wasn't their way, so they were against it. The church was more full than it had ever been before, but it just made the Jewish leaders furious. 
And they, they went so far as to yell out and contradict Paul and insult him as he tried to give this message. So instead of listening to the good news that the Messiah had come, these people were distracted by the other stuff. Again, we see the religious, the church people standing in the way of the gospel. But the Gentiles that had very little Bible knowledge were so excited to follow Jesus. They were unfamiliar with a God that loved them instead of a God that was ready to throw lightning bolts down at them every time they didn't please them. They were, they were uh, constantly bombarded with these ideas of gods that needed to be appeased and gods that were angry at them. And, and all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas tell them that that's one true God that loves them and sent him his son, and he himself died on a cross for them, and they were enthralled by this. They wanted to follow Jesus. In verse 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, he's speaking to these re religious leaders in this synagogue. He said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. I love that sarcasm right there, right? You judged yourself too good for heaven. Behold, we are instead turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I hope God doesn't ever get to a place where he shifts his focus away from us to somewhere else because we got jealous or envious and we stood in way of what he was trying to do. Because we don't like change and, and we stand in the way of people coming to him. God was doing something new in Antioch of Poseidon and, and something big and Jesus was at the center of it. And, and Paul and Barnabas are just riding this wave of Holy Spirit power as it crashes over this region and people were giving their lives to Christ. And when the, the uh, Gentiles heard that God loved them and that Jesus died for them, they rejoiced and they glorified God. It was a new thing to believe, and they weren't over it yet, like sometimes we get. But many of the Jews stood firm, and they stuck in their ways, and they refused to put their faith in Jesus and believe that he was the Messiah that had finally come. And not only were they not on board, they started persecuting the people that were doing God's will. Verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. So they went around and told everybody that uh, rumors and, and made up stories about them to make the people that were leading in the city angry at them. And it stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You can only do what you can do. Even Paul and Barnabas had situations where they were rejected, even though they were so close. They're eyewitnesses to what uh, Jesus had done and the Messiah coming, and they still were rejected. You can only point people to Christ and hope people accept him. You can't constantly be worried and, and obsessed with the fact that people might misunderstand you. If you do that, you'll never uh, have any time to do anything else. And these Jewish people, they didn't want to get on the side of the gospel movement. 
So Paul and Barnabas shook off the dust and left them behind. But the gospel doesn't slow down. It prevails once again in the face of opposition. Neither the people that were stuck in the religion and tradition nor the persecution can triumph over this new thing called the church. And the people that were left behind that opposed the gospel would face the consequences of their decisions. But the apostles didn't let them uh, distract them. They were filled with joy and peace from the Holy Spirit as they went on their way. We see this pattern over and over again in the Bible. The apostles go into an area and they preach the freedom found in Jesus Christ. And the Jews get mad and the pagans get mad and the Romans get mad. But the gospel moves forward. So Paul and Barnabas go to Iconium next. And a bunch of Jewish and Greek people there accept Christ. They become believers. But chapter 14 tells us the Jewish religious leaders poisoned their minds against the apostles. And they began to talk about them and spread rumors about them and stand in in the way. So the apostles stayed and and taught scriptures and they did miracles and they tried to oppose those uh, false messages. But then the opposition tried to stone them. So they moved on to the next city. And as they're going and as the persecution is trying to squash them out, they're leaving pockets of believers behind them to live out their faith together. Next, Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to heal a man in Lystra that was crippled. And as a result, the pagans in the area wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they got confused a little bit. They thought they were Greek gods, but Paul and Barnabas said, hey, we are just men. We are not gods. We don't deserve to be worshipped. We worship Christ alone. And they said, we do, though, have good news that you don't have to worship these dead and lifeless idols No, Jesus came and rose again from the dead so that you might be free and know the living God. But angry Jews that had followed them from Antioch and Iconium, they had had stalked them where they just had left these cities. They capture Paul. They take him outside the city and they pelt him with large stones until they thought that he was dead. They just left his body there in the street. It's amazing the stamina these apostles had for Jesus, right? I'm going to be real with you. I'm sure that I would have quit. I'm soft. Walking and sailing around the world, every people group feels like they're against you, even the ones that are supposed to be God followers. I'm sure I would have uh, been angry at God because, God, I'm trying to do your will, and everybody's against me. John Mark exit and him quitting looks a lot more like what I would have done. It's convicting to look at this because the times that I feel like quitting because someone didn't appreciate me or someone criticized me with no regard to my feelings or maybe I get a little tired. Sabbath and rest are important, but sometimes we're drained because we take our eyes off of Jesus. We take our eyes off of our purpose And keeping our eyes on Jesus is how we can renew our strength. But Paul and Barnabas knew who they served, even when oppression come. They didn't get bitter. They didn't get angry. They didn't try and get revenge. They didn't get distracted by correcting all of their naysayers. They moved on for the sake of the gospel. But surprise, Paul wasn't dead. The followers of Jesus in the area scooped him up. And they went on to Derby to preach the gospel. And Paul took some time to heal. And then he went back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch 
to strengthen and encourage those new believers of the faith that they had just left. And it's crazy to think that Paul headed right back into the cities where the gospel were, was opposed. So they helped launch churches in those areas and appoint leaders. They prayed together and they fasted and the church could not be stopped because they were following the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. And it all was about Jesus. And this is the end of the first missionary journey of Paul. And this is what church life and mission work looked like in the early church. It wasn't easy, but it worked. It wasn't fancy, but it was focused. And next, Paul and Barnabas went back to Antioch in Syria, their home base, and they told the church everything that was going on. So cut to back to Jerusalem. Things are getting heated. The Jewish Christians were struggling with change. Remember, the uh, Gentiles were now included, and this was the hub of Judaism and the temple worship and all that kind of stuff, and it was not natural for them to include the Gentiles in what they were doing. They were still marrying their ethnicity and their national identity as Jews to God's favor. They were attaching things to the gospel, and they wanted these new Gentile converts to not just declare themselves Jesus followers, but to declare themselves Jews. And in chapter 15, the church in Jerusalem wants the Gentiles to get circumcised and eat kosher foods. They wanted to add these things to salvation. And to be honest, we've kind of been doing the same thing ever since, right? You can't be saved if you don't do this, you don't do that. But the gospel is simple, but we make it more complicated. We take things that were good and we overemphasize them. See, the Jews in Jerusalem, these Christians, they wanted Jesus and the laws. They wanted Jesus and the law rather than Christ alone, the fulfillment of the law. And see, baptism and church membership and communion, all these things are good, but we don't need to add anything to the gospel. Christ alone through faith alone, just like that thief on the cross that never had a chance to do anything for Jesus. But he put his faith in Jesus, and Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. But the church in Jerusalem had this whole debate about this. And I've been, you know, been in some weird church meetings, and you probably have too, but we've never discussed anything as personal as circumcision being the means to being a good Christian. That was funny, right? I think it was. So the apostle Peter stands up in the middle of this debate in the church and reminds them of what God showed him, right? And, and the Italian Cornelius and that whole uh, movement that God was creating about the Gentiles being included in this new people called the church. Peter stands up in this church meeting in chapter 15, verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows their heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing the yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. 
During this debate, Peter reminds the Jewish Christians that God had sent his Holy Spirit to live uh, in these people that had yet to be circumcised or yet to abide by kosher standards. And God makes no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We are one new family, the church. And later Paul echoes this in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. What is it saying? It's saying that my ethnicity and my gender and my economic status, they don't make me better or more valuable Christ follower than anyone else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And Peter says we don't need to put on all the requirements to recognize people as genuine followers of Christ. Grace alone through faith alone is enough. Now, last week I mistakenly said that Herod killed James, the brother of Jesus. He actually killed James, the apostle. So a very alive James, the brother of Jesus, who had this time risen to leadership in the Jerusalem church, chimes into this debate about the requirements on the Gentiles. And he says this. He says, let people come to God without hurdles and without hoops to jump through. Yes, they needed to be sincere. Yes, they needed to turn from the parts of the culture that are sin, like idol worship and casual sexuality. And he says these Gentiles should also consider doing some things, uh, not doing some things that would offend the rest of the church, those that are Jews in the church, like eating things with blood or or things uh, offered to idols, and doing this in order not to be a stumbling block, but to bring unity to the church. See, the, as Christians, not being judgmental, but also living counterculturally is the target to hit. That's the balance. We uh, tend to fall on one side or the other, right? We're either super judgmental people that say we're all about truth, or we're super grace-filled people that say we're all about love. But the Bible pushes us to be both grace and love, compassion and conviction, not being judgmental, but also living counterculturally. I'm not going to add anything to the gospel, but I'm also not going to let culture dictate what I do if it goes against God. And he mentions a couple of those things, like being flippant with our sexuality. That was a problem that they were having in their culture. And that's something that as Christians, we need to make sure that we uh, avoid today. When the culture says one thing and the Bible says another thing, we need to lean heavy on the Bible. And when culture emphasizes uh, our body and how we dress or tells us that indulging in pornography is okay or that premarital sex is the norm or that I should take pictures and post them on social media to draw attention to my sexuality, all of those things that the culture says that we should do, we should leave behind as Jesus followers. But at the same time, we don't write off people that don't yet follow Jesus or aren't where we're at yet spiritually. We're always welcoming them in. We're in the world, but not of the world. Calling people to Christ, showing them the love of Christ, and never believing the lie that we're better than anyone. So, in reaction, the apostles and the elders uh, in Jerusalem, as this debate raged on and, and these ideas of grace came to the top. They wrote a letter to share with all the rest of the churches that Gentiles don't need to adopt the Jewish ethnicity in order to be Jesus followers. 
Jesus, the Messiah, was Jewish, but he is the king of all nations. And Christianity has always been a multi-ethnic movement. And that's what heaven is going to look like. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation will bow before the king of kings. Tony Evans says this about this passage and this Jerusalem council. He says, what started as a controversy ended in unity, edification, and joy. This is what happens when godly leaders address problems in obedience to God's word, recognizing God's spirit has been at work and encouraging people to seek one another's well-being. So Paul and Barnabas, they're all jazzed up. They're all ready to go on their second missionary journey together to tell people about Jesus. But something happens. In verse 37 of chapter 15, it says, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, his cousin. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took, Paul, or excuse me, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. When the time came for this second missionary journey... Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, who had previously abandoned them, but Paul was not having it. Paul was very black and white, and he said, you quit once, you're done. And Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Barnabas took John Mark, and they went on the missionary trip to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas, and they head out to do the work of the gospel. Ministry is hard, and it takes a toll on people. And it's easy to become cynical and skeptical because you will be let down. And this part always makes me sad, right? Barnabas had been, and Paul had been so close. Barnabas was the one that reached out to Paul when the rest of the apostles didn't trust him. Remember, he was a murderer. And and Paul came, or excuse me, and Barnabas came and welcomed Paul into the apostles. Barnabas stuck his neck out for Paul, even though it could have been dangerous. And when Barnabas wants to do the same thing for his cousin, John Mark, Paul wasn't having any of it. And as many chances that God has given us, we should be people of second chances. People that hope the best of people. People that see what people could be and we call them up into it rather than writing them off. We need to be people that give people the benefit of the doubt, like Barnabas gave Paul and Barnabas gave John Mark. Barnabas probably wouldn't be in your top five favorite Bible characters, but I think he's mine. Because I'm not like him, but I want to be. Barnabas didn't get to write scripture. There aren't any, you know, many statues of Barnabas. But without Barnabas and his encouragement and hope, who knows what would have happened to Paul? Who knows if we would have the gospel of Mark that John Mark wrote? Old Barney is the man. So years go by, though. We don't know what happens in the in-between with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. But by the time the book of Philemon is written, Paul calls John Mark his fellow worker. 
And near the end of Paul's life, Paul sends a request to Timothy from a Roman prison in 2 Timothy 4.11. And he says, get Mark, get John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. John Mark's situation is a beautiful picture of grace and forgiveness that is wrapped up in the gospel. Yeah, Mark got scared, and Mark quit on the people that needed him. He turned his back on the ministry that he was involved in, but that wasn't the end of his story. He doesn't get labeled a quitter the rest of his life the end. No, he gets a second chance after a change of heart, and God uses him to do big things. And Paul eventually came around too. And you and I shouldn't be so hard on John Mark either. We should give him a second chance. Because I know that's what Barnabas would do. The book of Acts is full of these two types of people. People that are standing in the way of the gospel and against what the Holy Spirit is doing. And people that are pushing forward the gospel and acting out the work of the Holy Spirit. I know what group I want to be a part of. When God is working, I don't ever want to get jealous of him using someone else. When God is working, I don't ever want to put barriers and hurdles up for people to come to the gospel. I don't ever want to make people try and look like me, act like me, talk like me when it's not something that God's word says. I don't ever want to add hoops to jump through. And we need to make sure that as a church, we don't put up barriers to the inner circle of the church too, right? We need to make sure... That if maybe you've been here for a long time and you kind of turn your nose up to people that have only been here one, two, three, six years, we need to break out of that. We're on the same team. We need to make the inner circle big and open, always welcoming, calling people into the family. I want to give people second chances like Barnabas, even if it's scary, even if it costs me a little bit of something. I want to have faith and hope the best for people because people have done that for me. And Jesus has used me for some reason, even though I didn't deserve it. And even though I'd failed him over and over again, I want to be an early church Christian. I want to love God, love people and go. I want to act out the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The book of Acts is constantly calling us to commit and recommit to pushing the gospel out into our community, to our streets, to our jobs, to our hobbies, and to the end of the world. We see these hard things that these men went through, not by their own power. It's not because they were amazing people. It's because... They gave their life over to Christ and they kept their eyes on Jesus, even though there were hard things and even though they were constantly opposed. But somehow they didn't get cynical and somehow they didn't get skeptical about people, even though they're constantly being stabbed in the back. And we see this picture of Barnabas loving someone that had made a big mistake. But he had repented. He had asked for forgiveness, and he wanted to jump back in. I want to be like that.
Maybe you've got some people in your life that you've written off. And they're trying to get their life back. They're trying to make up for their mistakes and, and trying to put their life back on the right path. And, and it's hard to give them a second chance. Now, you have to be wise and you have to be sure that the Holy Spirit is leading. We can't fix everybody. Sometimes we actively stand in the way of that change in someone's life because we look down on them. I don't want to be like that. Maybe you're the type of person that's constantly trying to correct misunderstandings uh, about you. Paul and Barnabas were very misunderstood. They preached Jesus, and they loved people, and they kept going. The book of Acts pushes us to be laser-focused on our purpose. Keep your eyes on Christ. And when you get tired, keep your eyes on Christ. When you get discouraged, keep your eyes on Christ. And keep acting out the gospel. As the band plays quietly, we'll take some time for meditation and prayer and ask God, God, what do you want me to do with this portion of Scripture in Acts, God. How do you want me to react? I don't want to be the same person that I was. Too often, that's what we do. We come and we sit in the sanctuary. And we never change. And we get full of Bible knowledge, but we never act out anything. And I don't want to be like that. The call of the Bible is to step out by faith trust Christ to take you where he wants you to go. It's an action book. Some of us may have sat here for years and have never changed. Maybe you've stopped feeling that tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart to do things. And that's a dangerous place to be. Why don't you call out to God right now and say, God, speak to my heart. God, direct me and guide me there's something in the way, God, I want to give it up. All I want is you. Those of you that are Jesus followers already, take some time to pray over whatever God spoke to your heart about. I want to speak to those in the room that might not yet be a follower of Jesus. You haven't asked for forgiveness of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of your salvation and put all your trust on what Jesus did on the cross. At the beginning of time, God made man, and he gave us a free will, the ability to choose between our way and God's way. And ever since the garden, we've chosen our way over God's, and that's called sin. Anything I think, say, or do that goes against what God's word says. And because of that, pain and disease and death flooded the world and everything is ruined that sin touches. And for 2,000 years, God pursued his people and gave them uh, prophets and gave them scripture and gave them a temple. And over and over again, 
God's people continually chose to do things their way and to worship idols and to commit adultery against God. And he could have gave up on us. But instead, God himself got off the throne in heaven. He was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years so that an innocent person might die for all of us guilty people. Jesus covered our sin. And that's what the cross was about. He didn't go too far and get murdered. It was always the plan. The Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. The Bible calls us to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only means of our salvation. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could do that right now. You got to know you're a sinner. You got to know there's a penalty for that sin. But Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. Put all your faith on what Jesus did and not at all on what your works are. We're going to sing in just a second. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, to do it now. Call out to him. The words aren't important. You don't have to know all the the Christianese and Bible verses. It's simply Christ alone. Put my faith in you, Christ. I know I can't do anything to get to heaven, but you did it all. Would you call out to him right now as we sing?